Welcome to the Health Autonomy at End of Empire podcast on Mask FM, a semi-monthly investigation into the struggle to create health autonomy and the revolutionary care to build a new world. If you're interested in supporting our network with a monthly donation, please visit patreon.com slash maskfm. Welcome to Health Autonomy, the End Empire, Episode 5, Reproductive Rights, Mental Health, and Collective Liberation. Today we'll be talking with our friend Chloe, a radical organizer around reproductive access and collective mental health projects in New York City. Today we'll be talking about two topics, uh, reproductive access and rights, and, and the idea of collective mental health, two topics that for us are, are very difficult to to talk about, but also to think about collective answers of, of how to solve these problems. And I think part of it is because these are two that that have become so medicalized and so dominated by institutions that it has taken away any ability we have of even thinking that we could answer these questions. And you think about things like uh, um, a reproduction, birthing. It's an area of, of health that is in, insanely litigated. OBGYNs uh, face huge malpractice claims and malpractice insurance because of the the, the litigation that they have faced. And so it's an area that they're medically, even they're, they're very sensitive to. But that also there's this feeling that if you don't do things in the, in the hospital, you don't follow what the obstetrician says, you don't get the C-section when they tell you to get the C-section, you want to do something alternative, like not have pain meds, um, have a doula, have a midwife instead of an OB, um, that there's somehow you're, you're taking risk with this, this new human, this new being that it will be coming in, and that any risk that happens will be on you. That if there's a problem, that it'll it'll be your fault, and I think that this historically has not always been the case. That historically, you know, for for ten thousand years, that we have been um, f- doing reproduction uh, without obstetricians and without surgeries and without C sections, but also recognizing that uh, historically the birthing process was a very difficult and very deadly process for women and for for infants as well and you know so this is an area how do we how do we think about these collective answers this idea of taking back reproductive sovereignty for our collective selves and but also recognize that that, that it is a huge responsibility and do we have the real capacity to deal with that and and also this idea that you know, me, myself, like I'm not going to give birth, but that um, the struggle for reproductive rights is as much a struggle that I need to be part of and that uh, that men need to be part of because uh, we are all children of mothers and we all have mothers and um, uh, our our collective longevity is dependent upon the reproduction of ourselves. And so this is a fight that we have to, to worry about. And it's a fight that, in all honesty, I think that we're losing to some degree when we think about the lack of access to reproductive care that people, especially in the South, that are having. Um, and I think that this is a way that the right, especially the alt-right um, and these uh, kind of neoconservative movements that are expressed, I think, around and how like Trump is, is being able to work around things, have really won that they have, um, you know, with with Roe v. Wade, which I think uh, a lot of movements saw as a success, that now we're falling into the limitations of uh, a consumerist model of rights, that um, rights do not offer access all the time. And even, you know, when we think about it historically, that Roe v. Wade is not 
declaring that everyone can get an abortion. It's just saying that everyone has a right to purchase an abortion. And the distinction of that, I think, is where we're having problems now, where, you know, women in the South are facing hours and hundreds of miles of drives to the only center uh, in the state that will provide an abortion and then having to go through the mental anguish of having to come back, having to do an ultrasound, that they have to look at the heartbeat, that they have to do all these things um, in order to somehow, um, you know, recognize that that they're murdering some some human and this uh, insane war against the 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 already uh, oppressed populations who are already suffering, um, especially with the rise of abuse, you know, seeing this Me Too movement kind of exposing the level of misogyny and patriarchy that exists, um, but that uh, abuse and rape and sexual assault are, are, are real. And, um, and so the conversation is based around protecting the fetus, but not really protecting the women um, who, who oftentimes are suffering these, these instances. And especially with these new fetal protection laws in place, um, you know, the, the anecdotal stories of women being uh, handcuffed and chained to the bed to give birth, being arrested as soon as the, the birthing process is over, being sent to jail because of a miscarriage um, that was not in there, that was not uh, anything of their fault or, at all. Just really this, this continuation of, of, of a war, uh, of a war against uh, women and a war against our collectivities. And then you look at this idea of the mental health, you know, obviously the the mental health of our collectives is dependent upon a multi-generational struggle that uh, when we talk about care, it has to be care for the elderly, but it also has to be care for the the new, the, the newborns, the babies, the children that will kind of replace us and continue our struggle. And, um, you know, all this really kind of wraps around this idea of mental health and uh, something that Chloe and I are going to talk about is what are the ways that we can start organizing around mental health using a similar model that that the thing that we're trying to build are the foundations, the relationships that will help us answer these two huge and 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 very scary questions. You know, what would reproductive autonomy look like and what would mental health autonomy look like in a world uh, in, in a world that we're fighting for? So I hope you enjoy this discussion. I know this is a discussion that we'll be having over and over and over again. And uh, I look forward to the continued struggle with you all. Take care. Well, welcome. Cool. Welcome, Chloe, <laughs> to the Health Autonomy at the End of Empire podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's really a pleasure, and we're being video recorded as well, uh, which is kind of fun and, and new. So today, uh, today's going to be really cool. I'm really excited about this conversation because it's two areas that we, um, as far as like the Health Autonomy Group at Woodbine, have wanted to talk about and have really been struggling to find ways to talk about. Um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of mental health and radical mental health uh, and as well as uh, reproductive um, care, reproductive rights and reproductive access, two things that you've been working on. Um, and yeah, so, so I'm, I'm excited to get started. Cool. But just to kind of dive in, I mean, so um, you had written this paper uh, through an organization about buying um, uh, abortifacients online. Um, can you talk about what that was? How did you find yourself in that experience and, and what the paper described? Yeah, so after I graduated from college, I was working at a kind of run-of-the-mill public health, uh, reproductive health research um, organization that focused most specifically on medical abortion. So medical abortion is an abortion procedure that uses just pills and like no other kind of like manual contact. So the optimal uh, medical abortion procedure is to take this one pill, uh, mifepristone, on day one, and then the second 
uh, medication called misoprostol on day two. So that was the procedure that a lot of the researchers were working on, and we're doing kind of like basic clinical studies. Uh, but the pill itself has been like used in the U.S. since 2000 and used like, in Europe since 1980. Yeah. So. Um, in one of the studies, uh, one of the researchers were, were looking online for some general, to get a sense of how good the information online was about medical abortion, to see what people were seeing when they would Google it, and came across all these different sites, these pretty janky looking sites that were selling medical abortion, uh, in addition to like all kinds of other pills, with, with an interesting focus on, on like socially stigmatized medications mm -hmm. like viagra and stuff stuff that people i guess were like searching online for more than other pills oh, interesting. so uh we found the sites and just thought they looked really weird so and and we're kind of we had like hypo two hypo like a hypothesis that these were like definitely fake because mm -hmm. the sites look so weird but then we're also kind of convinced that they would be real because in other countries pharmaceutical industries are really really different mm -hmm. and like once a medication is developed they're they're not subject to such stringent uh, copyright and like prop, uh, intellectual property mm -hmm. laws so they can really cheaply produce medication that we can't so we figured it might be like floating around india specifically or china yeah. so we ordered uh 20 different products from 18 websites and they were like on average like 200 dollars, whereas like the average abortion in the u.s is 500 dollars mm -hmm. And they took between three days and three weeks to get here, so it's wow. definitely a range. And uh, we found that all of the pills were like legit. They were like the actual drugs that mm -hmm. they were supposed to have. The Miffy pills, like pill one, they were all perfectly... Well, all we know is that they contained the amount of Miffy that we expected yeah. them to contain. We didn't really test it for other things. But the second pill ranged from containing the amount that we expected to containing a lot less than we expected mm -hmm. but some so the implications are that you'll if a person were to order them they would likely get something that would either work really well to questionably well <laughs> so it's a little bit tough but so the idea um and a critique is definitely that the pills were not perfect and a likely if you went to a doctor's office the pills would be perfect mm -hmm. but uh one a lot of researchers think that you need less in a dose than you're given so even though there was like a spectrum a lot a big proportion of the pills that we got would probably work mm -hmm. pretty well and if not these pills would start an abortion process and having an abortion or a miscarriage process started and then kind of like rectified yeah. in a lot of places for a lot of people might be easier than going to like get an abortion. Gotcha. So I guess one interesting or kind of like important thing that I like to just say as much as possible is that if a person were to take these pills and to go to the ER and say that they're having a miscarriage, there's no possible way to tell that they took the pills. Oh, cool. Um, there's like no like kind of accessible like blood or urine test. Yeah. So people should say that they're having a miscarriage <laughs> if they're interested in like not revealing this to a doctor yeah. and i think it's also important to note that a lot of the recent like, widely publicized cases where um people were prosecuted for doing an abortion themselves with pills outside of a doctor's care were reported to the police by medical providers yeah wow so how um so how did you find this that this potentially could be useful 
Um, or maybe uh, if you could give like some historical background for like why why these meds are being sold from pharmaceuticals in India, like what the situation in Europe is in regards sure. to these. Yeah, so I think that, I mean, the, in, the history of the way that abortion kind of attracted the status that it has now in the U.S. is pretty interesting because um, late 1800s, it was actually the AMA, the American... Uh, medical association so kind of like the union of doctors that first lobbied to have like abortion criminalized so because they kind of wanted to get have control over it and also be like the only practitioners of it as like a business model and so medical abortion was developed a while ago but obviously like abortion with substances has been like it's like ancient Mm -hmm. um and once they developed these pills they were distributed in europe like i said in the 80s and then the process for getting the pills to the U.S. was like kind of ridiculously strenuous, mm-hmm. and so it was released. It was introduced in two thousand, and right now it kind of has a status where it has to. It's treated like a procedure, even though it's just popping two mm-hmm. pills. You you get the pills from the doctor's office. You can't even get them prescription from a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. You actually have to go take them in the doctor's office. But they're just two pills that you like pop in your mouth. Yeah. So it's really like not that deep. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So that is kind of like a special status. That's like legally enforced Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the kind of restrictions on abortion can be traced back to either like corporate or um like sexist yeah (laughs) like origins gotcha and and in the u.s why do you think that this could could be useful how could this be useful for people in the u.s so i think that i mean one the most obvious potential of medical abortion is that it's like super discreet and doesn't require a lot of like technical knowledge Mm -hmm. so you like literally put the pills in your mouth at two different times and like it's as simple as that so i think that on one hand i think a lot of people not everyone find that it gives them a greater sense of like agency regardless of kind of their position and their relationship to like medical infrastructure i think for a, a lot of other people for whom abortion is like literally inaccessible like they can't get it where they are or because of their like position um, or their experience, like, going to medical institutions is just, like, beyond, like, it's just unbearable. Um, and, I mean, so many people have that history with gynecology specifically. Or they just, like, don't enjoy it and it just makes them nervous. Then the idea is that they could, like, try to get this medication yeah. somewhere else. And I think also what's obvious is that, like, more than ever reproductive like institutional reproductive care especially institutional abortion is really like at risk so Mm. it's just potential planning maybe no absolutely and like i mean it's one thing to be here in the northeast where i feel like Mm -hmm. we don't feel it as much um but just to read some of the stories about what's going on down in the south where like entire states you know you a woman could not get an abortion within 300 miles um and uh, and even this idea of cost that you bring up, like there is um, that recent study that came out that um, the majority of ma- Americans could not afford a $500 emergency bill. Mm-hmm. And so it's like something to think about it's the exactly, precarity yeah. of like socioeconomic status that if you did not have $500 right. um, and then the ability to take a day off of work and right. drive to an, a doctor's appointment. And oftentimes it's like, like days two away. separate yeah. days right. where you have mm-hmm. to go. Um that you know most of the people who are trying to access this are are already in precarious situations yeah and to add this to for the majority of people is like so difficult yeah it would just be impossible yeah right um, and i think that's like one thing i um come up against when i talk about it to people like oh why would you need to do these like 
autonomous or radical like reproductive things yeah um is because that a lot of people outside of these like liberal bubbles just really face like a dire dire kind of situation yeah um but you know maybe in that line i mean one of the arguments is that um you know uh like you've kind of you just kind of mentioned that you know uh women have been taking um medications to prevent um pregnancies for literally thousands of years um and so why is it that that practice is lost or, or what are some of the critiques that you hear um, in regards to like, oh, you could buy these pills online and take them? Yeah. So I think a lot of people are really uncomfortable with the idea of like what they would call like, quote, DIY abortion, because I think that it's been I think there's a lot of ways in which that question of, of abortion specifically and like reproductive quote unquote rights has been like ceded to a more like liberal mm-hmm. movement um and the left has kind of just like let it go and i think that a big slogan of like liberal anti i mean pro-abortion movements or like pro-choice movements is that like we won't go back to having to do like diy abortions but it's kind of like inadvertently led to this like pro-medicalization like pro-institutional position where they in their mind equate like the best care a person can get to the most like clinical care a person can get and so unfortunately like reactionary political forces have capitalized on that and required increasing institutional and increasing medicalized like abortion models so that they become so ridiculously institutionalized and medicalized that they're impossible for clinics to actually accomplish which is like the which was the situation in texas that was like overruled by the supreme court case yeah in the last year so the idea that um that an unsafe abortion is like an autonomous abortion is rooted in like a recent history but it is like overall ahistorical because it's like a really it's a process that like could require intervention from somebody that knows like a bit more, mm-hmm. but could very well be a process that a person could handle like with a friend or with a partner. People like have a miscarriages all the time, mm-hmm. and so it's really not too too different. But I think that a lot of people kind of subconsciously or inadvertently subscribe to reactionary sentiments that this is like an extremely dangerous process and it's hard not to because the recent history and the history that we like never want to go back to is that of like dangerous like chop shop abortions Mm -hmm. so obviously we're avoiding that (laughs) but to say that that going to like an er to take a pill or like an ambulatory surgical center to take a pill is necessary is like ridiculous Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and um, and even we, we had a talk here at Woodbine a couple months ago around reproductive sovereignty mm-hmm. um, and this idea that um, kind of like using historical models like the Jane Collective mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a historical model. For those who don't know, we'll, we'll put some links into the, the resources, but that some of the... Um, some of the critiques are, are are based on like a misunderstanding of like reproductive rights that even like Roe v. Wade um, is not a, a right. It's like a right to purchase. It's like this right. like, capitalist <laughs> right thing. Right to privacy. Yeah. As opposed to like a right to like a good life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. it's just like this amazing, um, it's like how our kind of like uh, liberal society talks about rights, um, mm-hmm. but actually like um, the way they're written into the law does not allow these things. And so then it allows like in the long term, these things like what's going on in the South. Um, yeah. Where these are all legal changes. Right. Um, yeah. That are happening. Um, and, and then, well, what were you well, so, and I think that in some ways, like there's kind of like a more progressive sentiment rising that um, 
well, okay, to have the right to do an abortion isn't to have the access, which I think is, like, a good, you know, progression, but it still doesn't, like, account for... Then that, that would just be, like, a little bit more, like, pay equality or, like, a little bit a few, more... It doesn't kind of, like, shake the whole understanding that a person, like, has... Should have autonomy over their body and also knows a lot more about what they can do than they mm -hmm. think. And I think that the project of medicalizing abortion is, like, much bigger than just trying to reduce access. Mm -hmm. It kind of, like... I mean, since a lot of reactionaries are just targeting women because um, they're small-minded, the idea is that, like, an attack or a medicalization of abortion is a way to um, instill in, like, women specifically, uh, but then extends to, like, all kind of, like, non-male people that... Uh, you are like dumb mm -hmm. <laughs> and you don't like know uh, yeah. anything about your own body and you need like the experts like historically like male gynecologists more recently mm -hmm. males are like not men are like not that interested in it anymore. <laughs> yeah. but um that that you can't really like take care of yourself yeah or like that your community can't take care of you mm -hmm. so. yeah and that was the other thing that came out was this idea of um like creating the community to do it mm -hmm. that, um, like in terms of, of maybe what, what a, a community would want or like a, a group that has a life in common would want is uh, not just the knowledge of like how to prevent pregnancy but that some women will want pregnancy like will mm -hmm. want children and we as a community like need children and so it's more of like this nuance and like holistic view of um, like fully having that choice and then being able to push forward yeah. in whatever direction yeah, and I think that there are some, like, much better models in, like, reproductive rights, like, like that of, like, reproductive justice, mm -hmm. which is, like, a kind of, like, a black feminist concept of being able to have any reproductive life that you mm -hmm. want within oh, your reach. Yeah. So that's, like, everything from abortion to, like, contraception to, like, um, opposing non-consensual sterilization yeah. to, like, having kids to not having to live a life where you're worried that your kids will be, like, killed by the police mm -hmm. to, like not being incarcerated so you can't take care of your kids. So it's oh, wow. kind of tying all of these um, like state problems to the c core concept of like reproduction, yeah. which I think is like really wow. powerful. That's cool. And it's a really good introduction for people, or it's a really good way to tie in pe liberal people who are really moved by abortion mm -hmm. into like bigger struggles. Oh, that's cool. I think. Yeah, we'll have to include something in the, in the links about that. Yeah. Um, well, great. Um, well, maybe just to kind of switch a little bit, um, maybe talk about some of your work around uh, mental health um, and kind of this ongoing conversation um, that we've been trying to have as a collective just around mental health. It's something that um, that we all interact with um, and and uh, talk about maybe some of the work that you're doing. So yeah, could you talk about like how, how you kind of came into like radical uh, mental health and some of the, pro the projects you're working on? Yeah, so I found the Jane, uh, the Jane Addams Collective through my like other anarchist organizing with mm -hmm. back and uh it's a longer standing project than i've been involved but there's like a kind of frequent rebirths of it and right now the project is working on um well lot, a, a while ago social uh social workers and other people who worked with the jane adams collective created this program called mass which is mutual aid self-therapy program and so they kind of like draw on a lot of different techniques from different types of therapies but there's this kind of overall idea of teaching a person how to with the help of just other non kind of like therapists in their community to help like draw out 
a person's script, which is kind of like the way that they would present their life mm-hmm. without much thought. And then having like their peers uh, kind of like challenge them on the script and try to like break through to like different realizations that might be useful to them. And so the cool thing about it is then like the like third phase of the therapy is totally self done. So the idea would be that like once your community helps you kind of like break through, you with the tools could figure out what works best for you. So it doesn't really like parallel any kind of like therapy where the idea is like, okay, it's time to like change your behavior. Or, like, oh, you hate yourself. Like, have you tried like not hating yourself? Yeah. Like, it's not really like that useful for <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, have you tried meditating? Like, I think you might need to go for like a run if you're depressed, yeah. but like that doesn't really work because yeah. you're depressed or whatever. So you buy this ten dollar green juice. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, definitely try to avoid any kind of like lifestyley fetishy. Stuff like that, which is like insulting and hard for people because mm-hmm. it kind of like makes them feel like they cause their own like mental yeah. health problems. But um, the idea is to kind of like, it's just like a, the idea is the, the program is just an idea and it is something to try to like incorporate like your friends and yourself. And for me, it's also cool because it's kind of like a, the idea is it's kind of like a, a it's an actual like procedure, like mm-hmm. the, the model, but then you like learn these things and then you find yourself like talking with your like roommate in the kitchen and then you like you're like pushing and asking these questions and so it's like kind of helpful mm-hmm. tools to like learn to like help people like draw out there yeah problem. and um i guess when you say it's like a procedure is there like a specific model that you all follow like um or is it uh just a toolkit that people can use in their kind of day-to-day life yeah so i mean the idea is there there's like a bit of a structure and so the idea is that you start in these triads, so these groups of three. And so the idea, the thing that we're working on right now is kind of like having this open house to attract people who might be interested and then starting on like a 12-week like actual like setup run. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get in these groups of three called a triad and each person takes their turn to like revisit the issue that they've decided to like bring to the group. And they kind of just start like launch into it. And in the little like guide or the manual, there's people learn like different tools to kind of throw out the person. So everything from just like really basic questions. And this is, um, you know, to like, okay, so if if that was happening to me, like, what would you say? Or just kind of being a little more aggressive than I feel like people are used to when they're like listening to a friend's problem. Because the idea is not just to like be an ear, it's to kind of actually like be a little more helpful Mm. and like poke holes in it. So it's to kind of interrupt them as much as possible and like ask questions or so you're trying to get them to break from the script that they use to like explain the things in their lives and scripts are like generally pretty helpful because they help you like explain to people the things that you think that you understand about yourself but they also kind of like lock you into like a singular way of thinking so the idea is that if you can kind of like poke through the script using like different tools whether it's just like very basic ones or there's some kind of more like symbolic mm-hmm. ones where you'll kind of like ask for like a subconscious like drawing and ask people you know like Rorschach type stuff yeah, I guess yeah. but the idea is to just kind of like poke holes in the story that they keep bringing to the group and then finally like try to empower the person to like reflect on it on their own and like work through these things like the idea is to build up a skill so that in the future you don't really need to go through like a process but mm-hmm. as soon as you kind of like notice something happening you can like really dig deep and then I guess the idea is that once you like get to that core idea whatever it is that's kind of guiding all these bad feelings you can like work on replacing yeah. it but it, it's like really difficult yeah i mean for me personally and this isn't kind of like the the method i for me like self-reflection and like really digging deep 
mm-hmm. is itself like pretty therapeutic just kind of makes you feel like wow I like, actually kind of understand myself yeah. now so I think that at least that's a good place to mm-hmm. start <laughs> and and like in some of the work that you do with with the Jane Adams and Mac um, where do you find it helpful or, or in what the question I guess I'm asking is um, like how does it meld into your politics like of, of viewing the world say with capitalism or with a consumerism or does it meld in, into that so for me like these different experiences and exploring like health autonomy relate to an anti-capitalist politic because most me- like medicalized experiences uh, are reliant on like, malevolent corporate mm-hmm. forces so they they're trying to like keep you from the thing that you need and since it's a matter of like needs much more than any other like, kind of industry they can like rip you off even more mm. and they could like kill you yeah. so the idea is to use health as something that like a lot of people experience issues with their health at some point or like non-issues like needing an abortion mm-hmm. and then um the experience of kind of being reminded that there's a lot of things that you can do by yourself there's a lot of things that like your community can help you do and there are definitely some things that you need at this point in time like we still need to like rely on institutions for and there's ways that your friends can help you navigate those Mm -hmm. too so i think that to figure out ways that communities can be autonomous from malevolent institutions it's just like a good practice for like making the world that we would want. Cool. Yeah, and I guess that, that kind of leads into my um, next question, this idea of um, how do you balance that that need for yeah, self-help, like communal help, but then also um, the, the role of institutions um, in, in especially these kind of uh, like radical circles. Um, oftentimes I've seen this like purist model mm. where it's like, no, no, we would never go to an institution. We never need to do this. And oftentimes I find that to be well, I'm curious, like, what you find, yeah. like, what you think about. I mean, I think that that concept in general, I think there's a spectrum of that. And I think that relying on institutions like the police is really different than relying on institutions like a Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, one is, like, relatively unacceptable. <laughs> and and others are just kind of, like, needs that we have right now. And there's ways to, like, think about them and critique them and navigate them and still, like, not want them to die. Yeah. <laughs> um and I think that, yeah, I definitely am not a purist about it. And I also think that's, like, reckless and, like, ableist and, like, kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's ways just to be, like, really critical about institutions comfortably and not, I don't know. I think that, like, for example, with, like, Planned Parenthood, I think there's lots of, like, things to critique about such a big institution. And I think, like, especially when people were so, you know, Planned Parenthood was like their main priority right after the like Trump election. It just felt like you couldn't talk about mm-hmm. like critiques, but institutions will pro- will be like relatively safe. So I think that it's important to like advocate for um, like minoritized people. Um, but yeah, I think that it's also like really like especially when people are kind of like anti like people who use like psychiatric medication or like people who like go to a hospital. It's just kind of like alienating like the wrong people. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, I agree. It's not really productive. Yeah, and then um, you know, just kind of like your your studying now to go into a profession like a health profession, um, and I'm curious like what your thoughts are about that, like having the analysis you do around um, institutions and like 
um, healthcare, like autonomous healthcare, um, and also doing the work to, to get into uh, like a professionalized um, setting. Like, what? How do you how do you view that process for yourself? Yeah, I think that there are definitely like critiques to be made of like anybody who pursues it because you're kind of like buying into something. On the other hand, I think that there's like a lot of valuable tools that a person could use going into going into spaces where the valuable tools are like kept mm. and like hidden <laughs> from everyone else and then maybe you could like liberate some of them um i think this about like health tools and, and not so much about like capital in the same way like i don't really buy that with like going into like banking <laughs> to like get the money because it's like that really works out that way um but i think with things like health and like any kinds of like other like places any jobs that provide um, care that we would like imagine would still exist mm-hmm. after the revolution, like we should continue to try to like get as many of those skills as we can to like help our communities mm-hmm. and liberate that yeah. um, knowledge. And I think that I'm just like I'm just hoping that I can be really careful about not like buying too much into like changing the institutions from the inside. And just I, I guess in these situations, a person just has to accept that like. I'm probably I can like resist fuck like fucked up stuff, but is the project going to be like changing the institution or is it just going to be like getting the knowledge and then like working on better things outside and perhaps like working in a hospital that like does bad stuff and mm-hmm. like not you know doing bad stuff meaning like taking health insurance and not giving away healthcare for free which yeah. is like the kind of level of bad stuff I'm willing to accept but um, I don't know it's like really tricky. Because other, it, like, other than pursuing this, it's really, really hard to get that information. Yeah. Totally it's, like, agree. almost impossible. And, like, our, you know, autonomous communities and, like, political communities, minoritized communities, they need that information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or else yeah. then you're totally, like, subject to institutional. Like, you, then, you, then you don't even... Then you go to doctors who aren't even anarchists and you mm-hmm. have to pay for them. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather go to a doctor <laughs> that is, like, not, like, homophobic. Yeah. But it... I have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, cool. Um, well, yeah, what a, and just the last question, kind of a very broad, you know, what, what are some things that you kind of view for this struggle for health autonomy in New York City and, and kind of beyond? And, and um, yeah, what, what, what is it that you would like to see? Yeah, well, I think that abortion is like kind of a prime front for health autonomy because it just happens to be something that is like, it is really feasible to have a lot of autonomy in abortion specifically um, because like I can't really overstate how relatively safe like medical abortion is like it's much safer than having a baby it's much safer than taking Tylenol mm-hmm. so like there's like a lot of ways that this is actually abortion itself is a really interesting kind of like first experience or first like lesson a person could have about health autonomy and I mean at least for me like it's like wow if I if that's actually that simple what else could I learn how to do or what else could like my community learn how to do if yeah. not me personally mm-hmm. um, so I think and I think that abortion is something that is like even more precarious than like all medical care which is extremely precarious yeah. <laughs> so I mean the fact that people might like start need to like seriously thinking about care outside of institutions is it might be like kind of an accelerationist yeah. like <laughs> abortion autonomy situation. Um, so that's like one thing that I'm like really, I think might be kind of like really important going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I kind of agree. Especially when you look at like historical models. Like, yeah. That was kind of like the big, um, th- that was a, a, um, a popular way to organize. Yeah. It was around like reproductive rights. Yeah. And I think it's something that like so many people experience, like 
I mean, almost everyone has that be a part of their life in some way, like the question of reproduction and like, or, or not, or it's like pressure on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's a good entry point for like so many people. And it's like a, pol- a way that your body is politicized even more than it's generally politicized in health because it's gendered. So I think it's a, I think that medical abortion or like autonomous abortion is a way to introduce people to health autonomy and is also a way to introduce people to kind of like bodily autonomy that goes off in like kind of a gender direction. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, for speaking and, and telling us your experiences. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, things that, uh, that Jane Adams is doing in the near future or um, any of your other work? Yeah, so Jane Adams is working on kind of revising the um, manual to the process and is going to put it online and is going to have an open house in New York on the 25th. So okay. people should investigate <laughs> great. where that's going to be. All right, great. Yeah, and we'll have uh, a bunch of links for some of the stuff that's already on there. And uh, yeah, or, or look through your, your collective networks for other information. All right, well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, cool. All Thanks right. for having me. All right. To end today's episode, I wanted to share with you a poem by Wendell Berry called A Timbered Choir. It's accompanied by music from the trailer from his new film, Look and See, about the life of Wendell Berry. Enjoy. Even while I dreamed, I prayed that what I saw was only fear and no foretelling. For I saw the last known landscape destroyed for the sake of the objective. The soil bulldozed, the rock blasted. Those who had wanted to go home would never get there now. I visited the offices where, for the sake of the objective, the planners planned at blank desks set in rows. I visited the loud factories where the machines were made that would drive ever forward toward the objective. I saw the forest reduced to stumps and gullies. I saw the poisoned river, the mountain cast into the valley. I came to the city that nobody recognized because it looked like every other city. I saw the passages worn by the unnumbered footfalls of those whose eyes were fixed upon the objective. Men and women and children now pursued the objective as if nobody ever had pursued it before. The races and the sexes now intermingled perfectly in pursuit of the objective. The once enslaved, the once oppressed were now free to sell themselves to the highest bidder and to enter the best-paying prisons in pursuit of the objective, which was the destruction of all enemies, which was the destruction of all obstacles, which was to clear the way to victory, which was to clear the way to promotion, to salvation, to progress, to the completed sale, to the signature on the contract, which was to clear the way to self-realization, to self-creation, from which nobody who ever wanted to go home would ever get there now. 
for every remembered place had been displaced, every love unloved, every vow unsworn, every work unmeant, to make way for the passage of the crowd, of the individuated, the autonomous, the self-actuated, the homeless, with their many eyes opened only toward the objective, which they did not yet perceive in the far distance, having never known where they were going, having never known where they came from. <laughs>